0: Well good morning again folks, let's pray and we'll pitch straight into God's word this morning. Well, trust and pray, it's God's word. Heavenly Father, I wanna say thank you to you for, for Jesus who is the living word. Thank you Lord God that you spoke the, all that is seen and unseen into creation. You, you said let there be light and there was light. The word of God tells us that you sustain everything by your will and your word. And so, Lord God, as we reflect upon your word now, we pray that we will hear from you, that each and every one of us will, will have a sense that God spoke to me this morning. That was amazing. So please, dear Lord God, just come now, and Holy Spirit, breathe on us as we settle into this teaching, and, and help us to, to grab your heart and, that your, and understand your emphasis in this, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know, this is one of those messages, that happens from time to time, where uh, I've I've been preparing it on and off for quite a while, Uh, but uh, when I was putting it together, the sort of final prep this week, I I had entitled it, Keeping Up Appearances. Uh, And certainly, uh, this will feature as part of this talk, but really, the more I worked on it, the more I realized that I felt the Lord was wanting to talk about his vision for the church. Now, uh, it's interesting, I, as you know, meet with a lot of pastors during the week, and we were having a pastor's prayer ministry thing together on Wednesday, and we were talking about the great doctrines of the church, and there is a tremendous resurgence, a rediscovery, a fresh insight into the whole doctrine of grace that's going on worldwide throughout evangelical churches and elsewhere, I'm sure. But this is a wonderful thing. God is restoring to us uh, the message of the gospel as a gift, as a free gift, and that our salvation, it cannot be earned, no matter how godly or saintly you are, it is still a gift. And in fact, we're going to pick this up and and do an eight-week teaching on this in a fortnight's time. Looking forward to it immensely. It is the central gospel. The, the central doctrine of the church. And, uh, you know, there is this resurgence, this reappreciation of this gospel of grace, and I personally benefited. But as we were talking about that with the, pa- the pastors, one thing, we, w- it was interesting. We, we, re- we realized, and we came to agreement on this, that actually one of the other great ne- neglected doctrines of the church is the doctrine of the church itself. You know, what is God's vision for the church? Uh, it, it felt like, hard to describe really, but it felt like here we are majoring on the gospel of grace and then there's outworkings in people's lives and, and, and the freedom that that brings and the healing that that brings and, and, and where we were you know, tired and grumpy, suddenly we've got a bit of you know, grace for each other and we begin to go into life groups and all these other things and, and it's like this sort of thing tails down and at the end of it, sort of... A, There's the church, you know, it all ends up as church. And we have feelings about that, we have thoughts about that. I hear people say to me, I've got no problem with God, it's the church I can't hack. And I think we need to rediscover a doctrine for the church, rediscover just how highly the Lord himself values the church. It's his bride. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but already this year there's a clutch of weddings coming down the pipeline, and that's wonderful. And as that happens, of course, you, you value your bride or your husband-to-be, you, you are filled with excitement, you know, you are, you are treasuring every minute with them, you are looking forward, they, 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 the, the, that event, that marriage ceremony, that life together becomes everything that you want, you long and you yearn for. Those of you who are already married, you can all nod enthusiastically, marriage is great, isn't it? Wow, thank you. <laughs> Naughty people. But it is. It's wonderful. Being married to my wife, Fliss, my dear wife, Fliss, has been one of, one of God's means of grace to me. It's been one of the most redemptive and healing and wholesome things in my life. So when I start talking about that and say to you, the church is the bride of Christ, can you imagine his excitement about that great day? Can you imagine the, the anticipation and the preparation, and the enthusiasm he feels about the church, and yet we sort of think, yeah, well, I don't know, I didn't get much out of church today, I'll go for a walk. Oh, the worship was too loud, or the worship was too quiet, or the teaching, I didn't get any deep teaching today, you know, you don't, oh, you know we've really got to somehow, and I think we need help from the Spirit of God here, we need to rediscover a doctrine for the church. So, I'm not gonna do this justice. I think probably we will revisit this subject and do a proper series on it later on in the year. But it's a heads up. I thought I was gonna be teaching on keeping up appearances, but actually I think I'm beginning to transition to a vision for the church. So I wanna talk a little bit about that. To, be- to begin at the beginning, talking very quickly, Well well. Last week, Dennis did an outstanding job. If you missed it? Shame on you. No, if you missed it, listen to the podcast. He talked about giving God's our best. He talked out of Malachi 1, and essentially those of you who are here will remember that he talked very winsomely, very effectively on the first chapter of Malachi, and in that passage you will recall, if you have heard it, that God actually says, you know, why don't we just shut up the temple doors? Let's just shut up and let's not kid ourselves, because you are not bringing me your best. Instead, you, instead of bringing me your, your, your finest animals, your finest offerings, you go and have a bit of a root around in the backyard, and you drag some manky poor little runt of a thing, and you drag, drag the poor hapless creature into the court, and he gets sacrificed. That's about how much that you mean to me. Well, that's it. I'm done. Let's just shut the doors. And, and Dennis did an outstanding job of just pres- looking at that, and the, and the way it grieved God's heart in the... 5th century before Christ, and how he spoke to his own beloved people and said, this simply will not do. And you know, there was a resonating with me, I thought, you know, this is more than the teaching, I, I found myself all week reflecting upon my walk with Jesus, am I bringing God's my best, my best? Does he get the best of you? You know, whatever your gifting is, whatever your inclination, is he getting the best of you, or is some other organization or situation getting the best of you? Is he getting the best of your time, the best of your, your energy, the best of your money? Some of you have, have been given resources for you. You know, you, you have been blessed with, with resources. You know, you, you may not be flashed, but you're quietly sitting on considerable sums of money. Is God getting the best of that? Or is that for your rainy day or your villa in Miami? I don't know. But this, this is relevant for us. Is God getting our best? Well, Isaiah 1, and we're going to read it in just a moment, is a not dissimilar passage 200 years previously where God speaks to Israel again and again disciplines them. But this is the other bookend, if you like, to Dennis's talk. So let's just read that, that passage and uh, we'll try and get through the first part as quickly as possible so that I can focus on the, the latter part the vision for the church. So let's just have the reading up, please, James. Thank you very much. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 to 20. The multitude of your sacrifices. I think I'll read this from here. I'm going to rip my neck. But it's up on there. Verse 11. The multitude of your sacrifices. What are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings. Of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Here's the why. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Now, you see, in Dennis' teaching last week, which is very similar to this, you know, God is basically making the same complaint. He's saying, you're coming into my court and you're you, you slap-handed, you come in and you shamble around and treat it with disrespect, just forget it, go away, I'm not interested. Here, actually, they're keeping up appearances, hence the first title of my talk. Actually it all looks hunky-dory. They're keeping the new moon feast and this feast and that feast and they're turning up and they're doing it all. But what goes on in here is totally disconnected with their lives out there. And for God that is a problem. That is a problem. This vision that God has for the church actually begins right back in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis. We'll just just whip back there and just remind ourselves. Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 3. And and this is Abraham. He was then called Abram. Letter his name got changed to sort of acknowledge the the changing position, and he had God blessed him gave him a son and all the rest of it. But at this point, in, in, this, in this encounter, God says to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, but also the father of the church, it actually says, in the new, it says in the word of God that Abraham is our spiritual father. I can't go into that, that's another actual doctrine there, you know. But this is what God said to him, our primary ancestor, all of us in, in faith. He says, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, Father's vision for the church is that we will be blessed. And I hope that it's a blessing for you coming into his presence like this. And, but... but but that that's only the half of it. The other half, the other bookend, as I described just a moment ago, is that we are to be a blessing. That's always been his vision for the church. A blessing for me and a blessing for them. It's inward and outward. Dennis did, as I said, I keep heaping praise on him, a great job of challenging us about the way we come to God ourselves and what we're expecting and how we're viewing it very personal thing, and it is personal. It absolutely is personal. But the other side of it is that we need to look out and, and be a blessing. Now, this is where my talk took a, a major turn, but I, I just want to whack out very quickly, and I, I'm afraid I haven't really got time to unpack these, but in this whole business of you know, saying, are, are you keeping up appearances or just going through the motions? There are, there's a little checklist which I've developed over the years. Things I think about, things I've read about, and things I've distilled this down, and I could teach all these three points and feel terribly tempted to do so, but I'm not, I'm just gonna throw them out as questions for you to take away and unpack yourself. First of all, word and deed. This is a checklist to say to yourself, am I just keeping up appearances and going through the motions, or is what I am in here and what I bring to God And what I aspire to and hope to be, does it actually connect with what I am out there in the world? So the first thing, word is important to God. Integrity is absolutely key to his view of how we should be with one another. So are your words and your deeds one and the same? Is your yes a yes and is your no a no? Or can you be bullied or shamed or whatever, into changing your mind. Maybe you take a stand on a particular issue at work, but you know, various people come around and say, look, don't be silly about this, you know? Uh, it's causing a lot of ruckus. You know, you're just too hard on this. It's not as black and white as that, but you, you just know and you know that this is a point of principle. You've gotta stand on this. But are you kind of, do you eventually fade into the background because it's too much hassle? I, I know this kind of pressure. I haven't got time to tell you stories about it, but I know it, and it's difficult. I was once put under extreme pressure. I used to, for a very, very short period, I worked for a major charity, a major, major charity, one of the top three. And I took a particular stand on something and I was put under such pressure to change my, ha- my mind. I ended up resigning, it was, I wouldn't change and it wasn't gonna work, I, I resigned It was only a short employment, but it, it was a problem. I know this kind of issue. But there's the question, and it, it can apply to anything. Is your, are your word, what you say, And what you do, is there a connect? Or is there a disconnect? Are you keeping up appearances? The second little thing for you to, you know, the checklist to to take away with you. Is your character and conduct the same? Now, it, it, it may seem like I'm saying the same thing again. Perhaps I am, but I don't think I am. You know, many of us have these kind of secret lives, don't we? I was watching Antiques Roadshow, the best of, last Sunday afternoon. Anybody see it? There was, it was a quite interesting, some of the amazing things, and there was this silver collection there. It was an outstanding silver collection. In fact, the owner had since died, and this had happened many years previously. But he had died, and one of his sons had brought a carrier bag with a few bits of silver that had been under the bed. Well, they started getting these things out, and they were absolute exhibition pieces. And it turned out, at, at those prices in the 80s, there was half a million pounds worth of collectible silver there. And when they, when they actually started digging deeper, he had stashes of silver all over the place. The only problem was, as a family, they'd lived a very modest lifestyle. And his wife had really had to scrimp and save. And she was not well pleased. Because he had this secret life, this secret interest, which took up his energy and his devotion and his time, energy, money. Now, we could go into all sorts of black and dark things which I'm not gonna bother to do, but you know where I'm going with this. Is what you're saying and ostensibly what you're doing, even out there, is there yet a dark side of you? Something, a secret history where there is shame and darkness and, and the rest little checklist for you on this sort of issue. And then the last thing, and I could go on and on and on. But vision and values. Vision and values. You know, do you, let's turn it round and transition into what I want to say. Do you value God's vision? Another way of saying what Dennis was saying last week. Do you value God's vision? Or you, do you want the church to meet your needs and get you healed up and pray for you and support you and you know turn up at church turn up at the hospital when you're sick and you know make sure that your kids get into the school of your choice because you've given a fantastic and outstanding reference to the headmaster about how wonderful little Johnny is uh, is it is it because you think you might meet some people might be able to do a little business in the coffee in the atrium is it is it all about you is it just is it just an addition to Something that enhances your life, something that you go along and, you know, when there's a special appeal, you sort of put your hand in the pocket and, you know, give a few quid and feel good about it. Is, is that the way you're doing church? Is that the way I'm doing church? Or do we value God's vision? Are, are we understanding that actually it's about knowing God and being the body of Christ to the world? You know, I I don't want to depress you. I I want to actually encourage you. Dennis preached, um, part of his readings he selected last week was one out of one Peter. Let's just look at it again, because this is how God sees us. You see, when he has cleaned us through the blood of Jesus, when he's washed us clean, you know, he has done such an outstanding job. But that's not the end of it. You know, he has a vision for us. So let's just remind ourselves of this little passage, 1 Peter chapter 2 And uh, verses nine and 10, this is a wonderful vision of what God has for the church. Talk about high calling. Talk about friends in high places. Talk about redeemed. He goes on to say, he says, this is his vision of the church, of you and me and us together. He says, you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood a holy nation, a people belonging to God, his family, his kids, that you, this is the outward look thing coming in, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, you were just tied up, snared, enslaved, struggled, down and dirty, but he has pulled us out of that. He's washed us in his blood. He's put a new robe on our shoulders, sandals on our feet, a new ring of of authority and princedom them on our hands. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you know the spiritual beings, those that are unseen, fear you? They are all in awe of the sons of God, so scripture tells us. You know, when I've been teaching on demonization, I know that currently there's one of our... By the way, do you know, over 100 people turned up for our essential training school this week. I think that's the biggest number we've ever had. It's been wonderful. Thank you to all of those who are facilitating that. But when I was teaching one of those classes, I used to say, you know, do you know, do you realize, I joke not that the demons step into the curb to let you pass when you walk down the road. You may not know it, you may not be aware of it, because you're so focused focused on getting your needs met, but but actually in the the grand scheme of things, the church is an awesome, an awesome creation. I was in a, a meeting three weeks ago where one of the speakers reminded me that actually even today, the church in the UK, which is generally thought to be in decline, can still put in put more people on the street than any other organization and worldwide whatever you may have thought or believed the, the church is the fastest growing, it's the biggest and has been for a long time but it is the fastest growing faith organization today mainly in the two thirds world mainly very Pentecostal very charismatic, extraordinary It's extraordinary, the life and vitality that we're seeing in the church worldwide. God has a vision for church which is far nobler than our, oh, I just wanna pop along there and see if I can get some prayer, you know? It's so much bigger than that, dear friends. So do you value the vision? If not, you know, remind yourself of, of the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, a little bit of homework. Go home and read that, that last Gospel. And if you're in any doubt about what I'm saying, can you, can you remember what Jesus said in, um, I've gone blank, Matthew 10, I think it was, Matthew 22, when he was talking about the great commandments. He said, love the Lord your God, somebody join me if you want to, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's Dennis' message last week. The bookend, and love your neighbor as yourself. Upward and outward. Jesus said these are the two greatest commandments. It's his vision for the church. His vision for the church. In these last five, ten minutes now, I just want to talk about some aspects of God's vision for the church and, and our place in it. But to help me in this transition, sort of transition, it's not too bad a transition, I just want to show a little film clip, which I hope will entertain you, but I hope it will encourage you too. Thanks, James. Thanks, Thank you. I love that. Just two little phrases that just struck me even then as I was watching it. Where do you have influence? Where do you have influence? Just extend your reach. Just extend your reach. A wise person has said this, that we actually, particularly I think it's true in the church, we underestimate what we can do in the long term, and we overestimate what we can do in the short term. You know, we start something, somebody preaches a blinder of a servants, we, we all rush out, and then six weeks later we're all, all discouraged and disheartened and all the rest of it. We've got to stop living like, like that. We've got to start planning big and taking small steps. You know, when we started the year, we were there was an inspirational movie clip I showed you, showed it several times, and a number of you commented about this, you know, this. This whole business of not being afraid of taking the small steps too often, I believe it's the enemy's voice, he actually deters us from taking even the first step. But if you keep taking a small step, if you keep taking a small step, looking for those places where you have influence, extending yourself slightly in there, you will be amazed how much ground you will cover. Truly amazed. Well, let's just look at one or two aspects of this this God's vision for the church. I mean, we have a vision statement here. In fact, if you go online, it, it runs to paragraph and paragraph. But, but we've, we've distilled it down over the years to three words, three key words. Gather, grow, and give. Gather, grow, and give. To gather all who are searching for God, to grow in God's love, and to give it away. You know, that's part of what we feel God has said to us that we are to be about. You know, we are this vineyard church... is is not the answer to everyone's needs. We work in harmony and, and together with the other churches and together the whole church of Jesus Christ is the very thing that the world is looking for. You know, we're not just an extension of the social services. You know, the only place, the only place where people are going to be discipled is the church. There's no other organization for that. That's why Jesus loves the church, is for the church, and is present in his church. Because he said, make disciples. And the church is the primary dis- disciple-making organization. So what are we doing here? Let's just get a little real here. I, I think that every church should have a, a, a vision for church planting. No matter how small, it should be thinking about church planting and, and satellites. I mean, we here, as many of you will know, and those of you who are currently going through 101, the induction course here, will know is that we have, we have gone public as saying that we want to plant 12 churches by 2020. Uh, I, 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 two years ago, we, we declared that. Where are we up to in that? Well, actually, you've caught us on a good week, so this sermon comes at a good time, in that this last week, Fliss and I have just, um, re- we, we've been talking to a couple called Dave and Becks, uh, Lord, who, I don't know whether too many of you know them, but they are starting the Bishop Stortford Vineyard. And we're mentoring them and encouraging them and we hope to be a help them. They've actually come from another church and we sort of adopted them. They had some problems and we thought these aren't just broken people, these are misunderstood people. You know, we need to help them. And so we have been helping them and meeting them and mentoring them for since June of last year and earlier. And they now have got the go-ahead from head office or whatever we call it to, to start this vineyard. This coming. Sunday, not today, next week in the evening, we're doing a pilot scheme, pilot event at the forum in Hatfield University. A number of our young people, particularly a young man called Tim Eek, I don't know if he's in today, but he's had a passion for Hatfield. He is a primary school teacher in Hatfield and he just feels that something has to be done. So we're going to do a pilot thing, we've been planning it for months, in the forum. It's just to see if God wants to do something. We're going to take the whole burn band down and everything. We're going to try and hit the place and see what happens. See where it's going, see what God wants to do. We've got to extend our reach like this. It, it feels a little bit, you know, we can do religion in here but can we do it out there? We've got to start doing that. And uh, so, so, you know, we, we are already looking to that. But I think that's, that the church, particularly in the West, and particularly, I'll be honest with you, the white Caucasian churches have got to start developing a, a vision for church planting. I met a guy, it was a total God thing, about, about a week or so ago. I was at a, a Willow Creek meeting, I'm on the board of Willow Creek, as you all know. And uh, I was getting a bit restless, I went and stood at the back, and a bloke burst through the door, he was about an hour and a half late for the meeting, he was all dressed up to the nines, lovely uh, black brother, and I happened to be there, and I greeted him warmly, and he looked kind of frazzled and disorientated, and I sort of said, can I get you anything, and sat him down, we got chatting, then I introduced him to our team. Turns out that this guy is uh, a member, in fact, he is responsible for church planting in the UK of one of the largest and fastest growing black denominations in the, in, in the Western world. They have a vision to plant 400 churches by next October. <laughs> I have been texting him like a girly. <laughs> saying, ooh, 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 can, can, I, can, I, can I take you out to lunch? Can, can I carry a bag? Can, can, can I, ooh, 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 ooh. And he's graciously, I got a text from him last night. He's been in Africa, so every time I send him a text, it costs him a fortune. <laughs> but I thought, if I do enough of it, he'll just say what I wanted to say to shut me up, you know. So I'm gonna meet with him, we're gonna, and he's very gracious. He said, I'm sure there's much we can learn from one another. But yeah, okay, I'd love to network with you. I am so excited about that. Because <laughs> I thought 12 by 2020 was good, but 400 by October, jeez! Have we got some ground to cover? Fantastic! Dennis was telling me, because he had a chat with the, the guy, they've already planted 400. The leader of their denomination was, was, was it Time, you were telling me, the top is regarded as one of the top 100 most influential people in the world today. He's a good guy, not one of the baddies. So this is a total God thing, but we have much to learn about discomforting ourselves for the sake of the kingdom and becoming the church. Second thing leading on from that, and I've almost run out of time, but I'm going to push on with it a little bit, is building bridges. And for quite some while now, the Lord has been speaking to me and to us about building bridges with the black majority-led churches in this country. They... They are growing famously, and the white Caucasian churches in particular are not growing famously, in spite of you know, some, some real hot spots here and there. And the thing I think that's been grieving me, is, or I've sensed it's grieving the heart of God, is that they're de- developing in parallel, and there's not a lot going on together. Now, we've worked very hard with our National Leaders Conference, which we host here in October, to, to get people in. And, as a result of that, I've had the privilege of now being—I'm I'm mentoring a number of these young black pastors, and, and it's a huge thing. Uh, actually, next Sunday uh, here we've got Tony Peters, who is the senior pastor of, of the, the Potter's House in, in Edmonton. He's coming to preach, and I'm going down there to preach in a month or so's time. But but we have got to break down this kind of parallel thing that's going on. Uh, the, you know the what. We may be doing great and they may be doing great, but the scripture says there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We are one in God. So we really must be amongst the vanguard that breaks down these barriers and works together and builds bridges because we have much to learn and actually much to give. So that's the second thing I want to say, building bridges. The third one is finding our voice. Uh, You know, uh, we are so privileged to have dear Roger and Carol Chisnell and the Just Community team as part of our our brood here, and we had an outstanding event about three weeks ago. We've got another what looks to be outstanding event coming up in... uh, In March, on March the 18th, Christian in Politics are bringing their roadshow here. We're going to have a couple, you know, we have one or two baronesses, a few MPs, and things like that. And we are incredibly privileged to be hosting it. They're going to, you know, London, New York, New York, and Madrid, or or is it it Birmingham, Bristol, and Edinburgh, I think, or something like that. And St Albans, you know, we got squashed in there. But it was was another occasion when I heard about this, I thought, we have got to. We have got to encourage those who are you know, at the pointy end of working out justice for the poor, for the debt enslaved, for, for, for issues in our nation. We, the, the church has got to find its prophetic voice again. And so we are going out of our way. So when I heard that there was a politics roadshow being muted, I did the old sort of girly thing, please, 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 please. And waved my arms around and emailed them enough until they got that sort of, oh, oh all right, we'll come then. So we're on the the ticket, and that's gonna be a great event. But you know, other things, I mean, people are beginning to pay attention to the church, and uh, with all humility, I have to say, they're beginning to pay attention to us. Kev Nash, our our children's pastor, has been invited to sit on a government forum where they are looking at sex and um, relationship education in schools. It's all provisional; it's just happening, but we are awesomely privileged to be invited to, to speak into that situation. Our children's, uh, our youth pastors, Celeste Owens, just received this week a, an invitation to go to Parliament to talk about youth issues. People are beginning to say, well, what's the church gotta say about this? And we've gotta know what we think and we've gotta say what we think. Even if they don't agree with us, we've gotta find that prophetic voice. What was it that Roger reminded us? Martin, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, no, Dr. Martin Luther King, said, you know, if the church loses its prophetic voice to the nation, it's just become an irrelevant club. We've got to rediscover that, rediscover it. And finally here, you know, what, I'm gonna finish on this. Maybe the, the worship team, because it'd be lovely to finish with worship, even though it's a little late, but. I had a, an unusual experience about three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, where a, a, a yet another bunch of leaders, about eight or nine leaders, from a church in Southampton, came up to see us and walk around the building and talk about what was going on here and had my, our business manager in and various other people. And we ended up in the car park and I was shaking hands and saying thanks for coming and they'd picked our brains and we'd had some fun and, and I'm standing there and I said, well, you know, I'm glad you like the place. You know, we've, we've done pretty much everything we can with it now so, you know, uh, we're kind of f- looking to God for you know, where we go from here and there's not much more we could do with it and I thought I felt really sad, <laughs> I thought, what, is that it, are we finished here then? And I went back and it, it just troubled me and I said to the Lord, I said, that's not true, is it? It can't be true, boy, we're all raring to go. What are your plans for St. Albans, for this region? Yeah, yeah, we've got to engage with the world in these international issues, find our voice, build bridges, bloody, blah, 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 but what about here? Something very weird happened and I'm still trying to work about it. The follow, I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me. Speak to me about your plans for this place. The next morning, I kid you not, I came into work. Um, one of our staff had been helping out with the Alpha group and had met, in fact, Nat- I don't want to embarrass you, but Natalie and Ryan may even be here, but Natalie and Ryan were, were going through the Alpha class and uh, their father owns the building, the Nabco building over there, 22,000 square foot. Anyway, a conversation came up and, and the next thing I know, I'm going over there at the invitation of Nigel, the owner, and, uh, and um, Fliss, and there's Jill, Yon, one or two others. We go over there. We walk around. And I'm just not thinking about another building or anything like that. But he said, I will hold off putting this on the market if you would like to consider this. And I said, well, how much is it? And he said, 1.8 million pounds. <laughs> After I picked myself off the floor. <laughs> uh, we walked around and I have to say, it felt weird. Sort of right and weird. And we began to sort of, I came back and I thought, Lord, what, what are you saying to us? And I still don't know. I'd love you to feed back to me. But we're a church of around 1,000 now. When I was a young clergyman, I had a vision. I felt that like God spoke to me then about building a church of 5,000. And I've been saying to the Lord, Lord, is that, is, that what you, is that on your heart? And suddenly I had a kind of a, I think I'd probably had a curry the night before, so that, don't put too much store by it. But I suddenly thought, what if we were to move the auditorium over there, have an auditorium for 1,500 people? What if we were to turn half of this into a warehouse for compassion ministries for the poor? What if we were to build a, a unit for excluded young adults who, you know, the educational system chucking out, that they, it, they didn't just get tipped out on the street, that we began to maybe employ some qualified and high, highly qualified teachers and people and work with the local government, the local schools thing to, what if? And I suddenly thought, and then I thought, what if? What if? I'm not going to cast vision for that at the moment. But I'm interested to know what you think. Has God finished with us? Or is this only the beginning? Has God got a vision for the church and this church in St. Albans that is bigger than any of us actually believed in? If you're sitting on 1.8 million pounds, <laughs> cut me a break here and say, don't worry, because I'll buy it, have fun. Worst possible time, austerity, economy in decline. Does, doesn't God know that we have some economic problems? Or is he filled with compassion and mercy? And has a vision for a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a prophetic voice that can show the world what the kingdom of God looks like. I find myself wondering, what if? Let's have the band up. Seriously, it would encourage me if you have resources and would be willing to pledge a large sum of money to the purchase of that building. It would help us, we talked to it amongst the directors, we don't know. But if you felt the Lord was making you restless about something, a sum of money that you have and you felt that you could seriously help us break the back of buying that if that was God. The very fact that you would be willing to drop us a line and say, I would pledge this to that if you felt that that was what God was doing, let me know. I don't know. Until then, we'll be the church and build the church. Amen? I've run on. I do apologize, but let's finish in worship. Thank you, Samuel.